Good morning, Grace. For our scripture reading this morning, please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, we are going to start in verse 12 and read through the end. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal. You know that afterward, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. You have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of Flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. Even If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. No, you have come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven, who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking, for if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth, but now he makes another promise— Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe, for our God is a devouring fire. Let's pray together. Lord, thank thank you so much for this morning for this opportunity to come and worship and and fellowship with our brothers and sisters. Lord, we ask that we would be ministered to here and that we would be the the tool of ministry as well. Lord, that you would use each and every one of us to uh, edify those around us while we sit here and, Lord, as we go from here. Lord, I ask that we would be uh, your image of who your son is. Lord, that we would be used for good to spread truth, and to to show the love of Christ. Lord, we thank you again for this opportunity to worship you. I ask that you would be our focus all this morning for everything that we do, whether we sit here and we hear this sermon, Lord, or we go to Sunday school, or when we go home and we share a meal with our family, Lord, that we would focus on you. Lord, we love you and we praise you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
there are some manners that we need to deal with this morning that um, prior to getting into this lengthy passage, but yet loaded with powerful information. The first thing I need to do is to ask this congregation's uh, forgiveness for an illustration that was out of taste that I presented last week when I highlighted some of my former workmates in Remington Arms Company. It was uncalled for. It should have been undone. Other announcements, too, if I may. We enjoy our stop-and-go opportunities, but if you would be a big help to us if, if you go there and then come in the sanctuary for a Sunday school class, any cups or any saucers that you bring in here with you loaded with goodies, we want you to have them, but please don't leave the sanctuary without them. Please clean up for yourselves. Can I get an amen from the congregation? Oh, that was pretty weak. I don't know how that's going to go this week. But yes, please, it would be a big help. We want you to have them. This is not a sanctuary that you can't have some of those goodies. We just ask that you would help us out by making sure you pick up after yourself. There are two prayer requests that have come to our attention and I want to remember them this morning, and you might remember them even throughout this day. Faye Bob has her surgery on her back on Tuesday. Remember, that's been a, a long two-year battle for her. And now on Tuesday, she's having her surgery. The plan is, is that she will most likely stay one evening, uh, overnight, if you will, after the surgery in the hospital, and there she may need to go to a rehab facility uh, as they continue to strengthen her back. So remember Bob and Faye at this time. Carol Shabak also is the sister of Gary Reed. And as you know, she fell and cracked a rib. And the doctors are already suspecting that there is a blood clot in her lung. So. We need to remember these two individuals and others in our congregation who right now are, are in the mode of being ill. So let's pray together, shall we? Father, I'm so glad for your forgiveness. I'm glad that through the finished work of Christ upon the cross and the shedding of his blood that he who became, who knew no sin, became sin for us that we might receive the adoption of son and daughters into the family of God. Your forgiveness is so sweet. Your forgiveness is so humbling. And yet that is upon which we must fall. And so thank you, O Lord God, for this morning for the realization that if it wasn't for you, none of us would be here. We realize that in your closing anthem 
to your disciples. You referred to the fact that they could do nothing without you. And we find that also true in our own lives. For without you, we can do nothing. So, Lord God, we come before you with humble hearts, but with also realizing that the accessibility that we have in your throne, at your throne room, we find grace and mercy to help in time of need. And we lift up to you two individuals that we've already mentioned, and we pray for Faye and specifically for the surgery that she'll be facing on Tuesday. I ask, oh God, that you would quiet her heart, and I know that she's looking forward to days of when the pain that has kept her from being able to accomplish the things she so enjoys doing may be corrected. And I know that she's falling upon your will. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we're asking God for your direction, the leading of the surgeons, and also for the healing of the surgery. Strengthen her in her moments, O oh Lord God, as she is in therapy. And allow her, O oh Lord God, that maybe we could drop off cards or give a call and just to tell her that we're praying. I know that will strengthen her heart as well as Delbert's. And we pray for our dear sister Carol. She fell. You know that, Lord. There's nothing that escapes you. The injury that has occurred to her has also directed the doctors to look at something else. And so we ask, Lord, for healing and direction again for the physicians. Thank you for our physicians. You've gifted them with the ability to be able to do what many people cannot do. And so, Lord, I pray that you would direct them. But in this situation, we pray for a healing and a comfort. And would you, O oh Lord God, reveal to Carol the very love that we've already been singing about, your love and grace. And I pray, O oh God, that she would sense your presence and that, O oh Lord, you would raise her from her bed of affliction, as well as others in our congregation who are right now uh, can't be here because of sickness, illnesses that they are struggling with at home. We ask, Lord, that you would meet their needs also. And we thank you that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. And would you work that, O oh Lord God, that brings you the glory and the honor because as we have sung, you are holy, holy, holy. There is none like you. And you receive all of our praise and, our and your glory. And we'll praise you in the matchless name of Christ, our Savior, your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. If you happen to close your book after Pastor Steve uh, read the passage, I ask that you once again would open to the 
to the book of Hebrews, and we are in chapter 12. You might remember that last week we introduced the thought of six essentials for maturity, for growing in Christ. Last week we were fortunate enough to accomplish two, and so my goal this morning is to try to move swiftly so we could capture the other four and be finished with this particular chapter and then get on to the chore. As my wife says, when are we going to finish this book? Well, we'll get to chapter 13 and we trust we won't uh, dally too much. But if you're in chapter 12 of Hebrews, look at the next particular, if you will, see to it ingredient in the list. Remember, this is a list of see to it. This is some things that we need to do. In verse 15, it says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. See to it, if you will, that you grow in grace and not bitterness, I think is what you have there listed on your study guide if you wish to take a few notes. See to it that you grow in grace and not in bitterness. But there's an interesting statement here. For the statement in verse 15 begins by saying, if you will, see to it that you don't miss the grace of God. Don't miss the grace of God. Well, the question arises, at least in my mind, and I trust in yours this morning, is how does one miss the grace of God? How is it that if the grace of God that sets our feet on the, on the pathway to the very glory that we know to be heaven, and the grace of God sustains us through that journey, how is it that we can miss the grace of God? Well, if I may direct you to a passage you don't need to turn to, but the Apostle Paul writes for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 21 these words. He says, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Not to receive God's grace in vain. Well, that leads to another question, which is, how is God's grace communicated? Well, it's communicated through the scriptures. How would we know anything about God's grace if it wasn't for his written word? We, we use terms such as, well, that individual was really lucky. Or that individual, boy, he, he missed out or she missed out on something really tragic. But when was the last time that those who know nothing of the grace of God would even say, well, if it wasn't for the grace of God? Well, in fact, there's a famous quote that says, if it wasn't for the grace of God, there go I. It is God's grace. And it is communicated in his glorious word. God ministers his grace, if you will, through his word in the revealing of his son. And we were told that at the very beginning of this book of Hebrews. That God speaks to us now through his son. 
And, and not only that, and people attend, if you will, upon means of grace, because part of which is the teaching of the scriptures, part of which is the celebrating of the Lord's Supper. When was it that we even viewed communion as a part of God's grace? Or, or part of God's grace, too, is even revealed, if you will, in the fellowship of one with another. I, I, I trust this morning that you caught the generalized theme of the songs. It's grace. It's all about grace. And I love what the hymn writer has to say. It's that grace that leads us all the way home. It's God's grace. And yet there are times, I'm dear people, even in my own life, and I'm sure that you can attest in yours, that I miss it. I overlook it. I'm not aware of it as much as I should be. And in fact, every Sunday morning, I should get on my knees and praise God for his grace because you have to sit there and listen to me. And it is God's grace. And, and it's what it's all about. And, and the writer of Hebrews just says, be careful. See to it that you don't miss it. Don't miss grace. Don't just take it for granted. I mean, when you really stop and think about Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, specifically verse 8, when it says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. By grace. Well, what is God's grace then? Well, I can give it to you in a simplified form. God's riches at Christ's expense. But in a more deep theological issue, it's this. God gives to us those things that we don't deserve. That's grace. Aren't you glad his grace gave us the sunshine this morning? I mean, all the other days when it was raining and cloudy and overcast, the sun was still shining, but it was hidden from us because we, we couldn't see the brightness of what it is now. Oh, but be careful. Because when you leave this facility and start to drive home, do not complain that the sun is shining in your face and you can't see. You see how quickly we lose sight of God's grace. And the writer of Hebrews says, don't miss it. Don't miss it. But then he adds another ingredient to that. Did you catch it as Pastor Steve read it and, and, and I went over it very quickly? For it also says, be careful, see to it that no root of bitterness springs up. Ah, that hurts. It's there for a reason. And I think what is happening is the the, the first century Hebrew Christians would know exactly what he's talking about because they have been spoon-fed most of the book of Deuteronomy. And, and, and in fact, I'm going to lead you, if you wouldn't mind, turning to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 29. There is an interesting phrase there that the writer of Hebrews has pulled out. Hebrew, or right, Hebrews, Deuteronomy chapter 29. 
And if I can just quickly give you the overview of chapter 29, you realize that Moses is reminding the congregation of Israel of the covenant of God. And, but notice, if you will, quickly at verse 16. When he is reminding them, he gives them a little history. He says, you know how we lived in the land of Egypt and how we came through the midst of the nations through which you passed. And you have seen their detestable things, the idols of wood and stone, of silver and gold, which were among them. Beware, lest there be among you a man or a woman or a clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. Isn't it interesting that, that Moses would include that phrase, beware of a root of poison bitterness. Why? Well, all of you, I'm sure, at least many of you know that there are two colors that I do not appreciate on my lawn. One is dandelion yellow, and the other is clover white. But one thing I've noticed about dandelion is this. You can spray all the weed killer you want on it, but that thing will come back in about three months. And the only way you can get rid of dandelions is they make this wonderful instrument that has like a prong thing at the end. And it's about that long, and you can dig that down underneath, and you get the root out. If you don't get the root out, or can I really say it a different way? If you don't get the root out, <laughs> it will come back. It grows back. But another fascinating thing about a dandelion is this. If you're in your flower beds and you go to root that thing out, oh, I'm using Pennsylvania, you go to root that thing out, that all of a sudden you find out that its root system has captured roots of things that you want to keep. And when you go to root that thing out of there, you have a difficulty and leaving what you want to stay there in order to get that which you don't want out. Isn't that true with the root of bitterness in our lives? My word. We, one thing about roots is that you don't see them a lot. I mean, on massive trees, you can see roots that come out of the ground and such as that. But I'm talking about a root that you, you know it's there because without it, it, nothing can grow. And so here's these, this writer of Moses writing to the nation of Israel. And the writer of the book of Hebrews is again commenting on this. See to it that there's no root of bitterness. Well, we may be saying the fact of it is, well, we don't see any of that around here. There's nothing of that, that that comes, if you will, 
into our congregation, we, we seem to be pretty well rid of this bitterness thing. But what about the root? What about the root? Isn't it better, at least I'm finding this out in a more agricultural setting, that it's better to eradicate roots when the plant is small than when it grows to full, full, full nature. And so what we find ourselves, dear brothers and sisters, is this. Why are they put together? Because if we miss grace, we'll let the root grow. I, I love grace that, that all of a sudden we realize that if it wasn't for grace, none of us would be here. And we have nothing in and of ourselves to, to be able to stand before God and say, I deserve it. I'm going to let you on a little secret. No, you don't. You don't deserve it. And that's what's amazing about grace is that God's willing to give it to us. And that grace is what keeps these bitter roots from growing because we realize who he is and what he has done for us and who we are and what we can't do. And we become amazed. So the writer of Hebrews, see to it that you don't miss grace. See to it that you don't have a root of bitterness. Oh, we must move on. <laughs> and we must move on very quickly. The fourth one, if you'll recognize, is in verse 16. It says, see to it that no one is sexually immoral and unholy like Esau. Whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> How did Esau pop up into this thing? Well, we'll get to that. But the fourth one is this, see to it that you reject immorality and godlessness. Reject immorality and godlessness. There are two sides to holiness, dear people. The first side is that we, is a positive in which we're told that we are set apart to God. The negative side is this, is that we're set apart from sin. To God, from sin. And so in our society and today, as well as in the society of these particular first century believers, they were in living in a situation of when immorality was raised to a standard of, well, everybody's doing it. It's okay. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, see to it that you reject that. That gets you nowhere. That gets you nowhere. But yet here we have this, this individual by the name of Esau. And, and it gives to us a little bit of about his story because it says Esau, who, who sold his birthright for a single meal, who sold his birthright for a single meal, meal what is that all about well in a simplified answer 
is this, as Esau was willing to trade that which was spiritual to gain that which was physical. He was willing to bypass the spiritual blessing that was to come upon him in order to gain that which was physical. Yes, we we know the story well. He comes in from the field and his brother has made for him stew. And apparently he's famished to death and the transaction is made that you give me your birthright and you can have this meal. May have gone on something like that. But what's tragic, if you read on a little bit, it says, for you know that afterward, verse 17, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. And he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. He was sad that he missed the inheritance but he wasn't sad over the sin he committed. Dear people, you can live your life pretty well for 30 years. And then in reality, in the, in the stench of sexual immorality, you can lose it all in five minutes. The accessibility of the immorality of the wrongness that is used to do nothing more than to bring pleasure has been abducted by the world and is now being proclaimed as everybody has a right to it. And it's promoted and it's highlighted and it's raised in our society even in the 21st century America. To where, how, how is it that we reject these things? How is it that we can walk worthy of the vocation in which we've been called? Meaning the grace of God in our lives. Well, our time is fleeting and we need to move. But let me give you an answer to that particular ant question. And the question is, the answer is this. Do the see to it lesson. That's right here. See to it. What is amazing, though, when you come to the verses of 18 down through, the, the writer of Hebrews all of a sudden goes into another history lesson. He describes Mount Sinai, and then he describes Mount Zion. And in the descriptiveness of that, he is highlighting the two cases of life. He's talking to them at Mount Sinai, and all of you would remember that from your good, I trust, your good Sunday school teachers, that Mount Sinai is where the nation of Israel received the law of God from Moses. Namely, the Ten Commandments, if you will. 
And, and then Mount Sinai or Mount Zion is the place where God's grace is written upon our hearts. He says, oh, this is where you were. This is where you did everything out of fear in hopes that what you do accomplish is going to be good enough to meet the strictiveness to please a holy God. And, and over here, he says, but this is where you are now. You are in the presence of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he's done everything to appease a holy God. And all you have to do is to trust him by faith, through grace. You were here at one time. Now you are here. One place you came in fear. The other place you come in praise. And so the lesson in these verses that we don't have time to fully develop them is this. Live here. Stay here. Let Mount Zion, where God's grace has been given, let that be that which you feed upon, but that upon which you walk in, let that be upon what you trust in. Trust it. And that gives us, if you will, to one of the last ones, not the very last one, but in verse 25. Notice what it says. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Don't refuse him who speaks. For it goes on to say, if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let those words sink in. And uh, instantly, these Jewish believers would have begun to visualize the prophets and how back then they didn't listen. It might go, and, and as these prophets were coming across the stage of history, they may make some mention of the fact that, oh, here comes Amos. He's a wailing prophet. Well, here comes Jeremiah. He cries so much it covers his beard with wet. Here comes Isaiah. And he's told us some very difficult things. And then there's Jonah. Who's proclaimed Condemnation upon Nineveh if they didn't turn. Oh, why don't you just send us some prophets that we'd like to listen to? You know, the ones that make us feel good. The ones who tickle our ears and meet our fancy. Who tells us things that we want to hear. The writer of Hebrews has said, if you didn't obey the prophets and what they had to say, how do you think 
you're going to escape with what the one from heaven has to say. How is it that you think that you can just go along your merry way and believe that, oh, God's a loving God, which he is. I understand that God so loved the world. But he's also holy. Did you catch the hymn? Holy, holy, holy. Those words that sink deep describe who our Godhead is. And in that, it reminds us of what he demands, what must meet his criteria for forgiveness, not our own. And if we refuse to listen to the word of God, how do we think we're going to escape what is in here? Well, when they heard this particular instruction, I wonder if maybe their minds raced back to the point of history when they heard the marching boots of the army from Babylon coming to take them away. When they would enter individuals' homes and take out children from their homes and transport them to a land where no longer the parents would have any kind of control. It's because they didn't listen. They didn't pay attention. And so when, when God's people refused his earthly prophets, what do you think you're going to get away with without listening to God's son? And when you begin to, to understand that, when you begin to relish in this book, you come to find out that this book is true. And it is right, and it is holy, and it's like no other book at all. When we were growing up, my, meaning we, my wife and I, as we were growing up in Mohawk, New York, there was a time when we had a football coach by the name of Jack Daniels. No, not, don't be thinking of other things right now. That's what his name was. And every Monday night... He would invite the parents to come into a session where he would explain to them the rules and the regulations of football so that when the parents were on the sidelines, they would understand, thou shalt not hold, thou shalt not be offsides, thou shalt not have a crackback tackle or block. And he sort of publicized that. But on every football field, there are three books that arrive. Each team has a book. It's called their playbook. And it's their design to be successful 
on that field. But there's another team that arises. They have a book. It's called the referees, the officials. And their book supersedes the other two. Because quite frankly, I guarantee you, the other two books are looking for ways that they can circumvent the rules of the final book. But the officials are there to make sure that they understand, thou shalt not be offsides. Thou shalt not, as it goes on. I wonder what it would be like before a football season if a commercial would come on something like that to give people an understanding of what's happening. Following maybe the pattern of Coach Daniels. But then I can imagine what it would be like to have a commercial on TV that says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not steal. And the millions of people that may see that, they say, whoa, where did this come from? Who was the mindless idiot that thought we needed this? Well, the writer of Hebrews is telling us this is exactly what we need. If you're not going to pay attention, how do you think you're going to circumvent the voice from heaven? See to it that you pay attention. And the last one, I must go very, very quickly through it. Thankfully, the notes are very short, and so we won't be taking you too much longer. See to it, verse 28, that you worship God acceptably. Worship God acceptably. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Isn't that what worship is all about? I know Pastor Steve did a three-part series from the book of Philippians. Masterful job about worship and how it should be availed and how it should be, on, if you will, exhibited in our lives. And, and I kind of wonder if maybe we've gotten away from that, haven't we? Where individuals just want to come and be entertained. They just want to come and made felt good. And yet, it doesn't matter what genre, it doesn't matter what event it would be, it doesn't matter if it's contemporary or ancient. It doesn't matter if we sing off the wall or sing with instruments. The main issue is this. If we have missed the awe of who God is, then we've not worshipped. Because He alone, whether I like it or not, is not dictatable, if you will, to who He is. I've heard people say wrongly, 
that I know the music that God likes. Oh, really? Who let you in on that little secret? I can tell you the music that God likes. It comes from a contrite heart that is worshiping him in awe of who he is. It's almost like what we should be like Moses and Joshua. That we should come in. I wonder if maybe we'd have that. Uh, I know the organists, they take their shoes off all the time because that's how they, they feel the pedals. But what would it be like if we, even before we come into the sanctuary and stand in awe of who God is, that all of us leave our sneakers and shoes out there? For both Moses and Joshua were said, you're standing in the presence of God. Awe and reverence for him. That's the music that God likes. That's what he accepts. Not a flashy thing. Not anything. But him and him alone. And I guarantee you, once we worship him in his awe and in who he is, that will transform our lives. Because, dear people, God doesn't stay here when you leave. He goes with you. And are you worshiping him as you leave? Well, we'll see if you complain if the sun is shining in your eyes as you're driving home. See to it. Let me just quickly close with these remarks. See to it that you keep strong and keep straight. See to it that you pursue harmony and holiness. See to it that you grow in grace and not in bitterness. See to it that immorality and godlessness is rejected. See to it that you don't refuse him who speaks. And see to it that you worship God acceptably. Let us pray. Glorious Father, it's a list, but it's in your word. And it would do us well as your people to apply these things to our lives. Not that we ex expect anything other than the fact that we would live according to your grace and that we would be able to be a witness to those who do not know you. And so for that, I pray that your word would not quickly dissipate from our hearts this day. Let it dwell amongst us. Let it infect our lives. That whatever we do or say, we would stand in awe of the grace of our great God. And we'll thank you. Stand together, shall we, as we give thee the benediction.